Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money, and today we're talking Uptown Funk at Royal Studios in Memphis. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Lifestyle Thursday for Millennial Money. As we continue to tour around Memphis, and this this episode we're actually going to talk about some of the history and the future of the Memphis music scene that is going on. Uh, these days, and uh, like I said, a little bit of history lesson too. And Memphis really, it's really given birth to more musical genres than any other city on the planet. Um, 
And on this last visit, I got to really, you know, take a look at some of their history. And I, I really had one of my best times here. There's some really great stories that to come out of this podcast. Um, there's this one, you, you walk up to this modest building. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, uh, artwork on the outside there, but it's a pretty modest building in a neighborhood. Um, and for years, some of the best uh, musicians, singers, and bands have walked into this modest building, uh, which is on, located on Willie Mitchell Boulevard in the heart of Memphis. Um, and basically what's come out of there are some of the greatest songs and the soundtrack to all of our generations, multi-generations. Um, and th- this studio with this home there is actually home to Royal Studios, uh, which is a family-run studio that legendary soul and R&B producer Willie Mitchell started in 1957. Um if you want to talk about the hits right now that have come out of this building, it would take days. But some of the hits are some of the highlights from that from that list of the hits are, let's say, the rock god Chuck Berry to the smooth um, R&B artist Al Green to Rod Stewart to John Mayer to Snoop Dogg and indie rockers and one of my favorite bands, My Morning Jacket, recorded there a few years back. Um, more recently. Have you ever heard of the name Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars? Well, they collaborated on and recorded their smash hit, Uptown Funk, which spent 14 weeks at number one on the Billboard 100. I had no idea. I knew that song was big, but I didn't know it spent 14 weeks at number one, and it actually won the Grammy of the Year for Record of the Year. Well, today, Royal Studios, um, Willie Mitchell's son, um, engineer and producer, Lawrence Boo Mitchell runs and manages Royal Studios as well as running it with the collection of his family. It is it is truly a family-run business. When you walk into the studio, um, the, a family of all genres and all eras will, will, will greet you. Um, Boo also earned his first Grammy uh, for his part in Uptown Funk, and he's going to tell you some really good insights into into how Bruno and Mark actually recorded that. Uh, Boo also gave us a private tour of his iconic studios here in Memphis. Uh, as we talked about how also Bruno loved his aunt's soul food cooking, and his aunt also uh, cooks for many, if not all, the uh, acts there. Uh, his award-winning uh, participation in an award-winning documentary, Take Me to the River. This is a really great uh, documentary that really gives a cool history and, again, the future of Memphis uh, music. And uh, it was out a couple years ago. It won some really great awards. It's on Netflix, but you definitely want to check that out. And we talk about the history and transformation and future of the Memphis music scene. Girls hit you, hallelujah. So, so Booth, thanks for coming on the show. We, I totally appreciate this. And um, so, so much of musical history and genres have come out of Memphis. Uh, Royal Studios has been a, always a big part of that. Tell us a, a little bit of brief history about Royal Studios, High Records, and the High Rhythm section, uh, and where you guys are actually today. Uh, okay, so Royal Studios um, actually started, um, I think the catalyst was when Elvis and Johnny Cash left uh, Sam Phillips at Sun Records. Uh, Elvis's bass player, Bill Black, 
was wanting to do his own thing. Um, so Bill Black, uh, and there was an engineer, Ray Harris, Quentin Clanch, uh producer that all worked at Sun, they talked local record store owner Joe Coogie into buying the Royal Theater in 56. And in 57, it opened as Royal Studios and High Records. Um, and it was kind of known for uh, rockabilly was big back then. Mm-hmm. So they had, uh, I think maybe the first record they put out was on, and I think the guy was Ray Harris's cousin, uh, mm-hmm. Carl McVeigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a hit with that. Uh, and then Bill Black had several hits. Um, and my dad, Willie Mitchell, got there in around uh, the end of 58, early 59, <clears throat> and started doing his Willie Mitchell R&B instrumentals. Um, so, you know, the studio kind of, yeah, it, was, it started as an instrumental uh, kind of place with mostly rockabilly music they had oh. hits with um Gene Simmons uh had a hit with uh Haunted House that was a million seller um and even the Beatles rehearsed there on their first American tour in 64 um because Bill Black was their opening act oh that's um, right that's right oh wow yeah so i think my um Eventually, uh, my dad started, uh, Willie Mitchell started uh-huh. um, becoming real successful with his instrumentals and uh, kind of stuff. I think the label started changing directions in the mid mid to late sixties. And up until yeah. My dad started having a lot of success with instrumentals with 2075 and Soul Serenade up until he met uh, Reverend Al Green in mm-hmm. 68. Um, and uh, so the high rhythm section came about because um, my dad kept kind of losing his rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> his first they, lot they, of- they were too good. <laughs> yeah, they kept going to other studios. Right, um, right. Like the, uh, you know, the American guys, um, those were all like my dad's uh, band. Hmm. Um, Reggie Young and Tommy Cogbill and all those guys, they they were in the, you know, the Willie Mitchell combo. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, So he finally got, uh, and even Al Jackson Jr. was, uh, Al Jackson Jr. was my dad's original drummer, which ended up going, you know, to Stax um, uh-huh. for a time. So anyway, my dad got, uh, found the Hodges brothers in the mid-60s. I think Leroy Hodges was the first one to come and play for him. Uh, and... Uh, he ended up kind of raising them. I think Tina was about 17 when he um, started playing for my dad. Uh, and uh, uh, Eventually, I think by 68, Charles, Tina, Leroy, 
Uh, my dad had Howard Grimes on the drums and Archie Turner, my uncle, on the uh, electric piano. And so those became the guys that, since he raised them from kids, they, they never left, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so that became the high rhythm section. Mm. And Al Jackson Jr. ended up coming back um, after... I don't know. After the assassination of Dr. King, mm-hmm. um, Stax started going into a different direction, mm-hmm. and I think that's when Al Jackson Jr. came back and started cutting. So by '69 or '70, Pop had two drummers. Um, so there's a lot of the Al Green stuff that is Al Jackson Jr. playing drums, and a lot of mm-hmm. it Howard Grimes was playing drums. But Howard's playing mostly on everything else, high records, you know, and people's mm-hmm. Otis Clay, Phil Johnson, mm-hmm. O.B. Wright. That, that's all Howard. And, and you guys have, have produced, I mean, you guys have produced albums for, like you mentioned, Al Green uh, to Rod Stewart and, and even these days, like My Morning Jacket to the Grammy-winning Uptown Funk. Um, oh, why, why do so, so many artists you seek out Royal, like like Bruno Mars. Uh, what is it about the studio? I mean, the studio has um, a vibe to it. Um, I mean, there's so many records were, were cut there. It's like I'm still finding out stuff that was recorded there. <laughs> um, I mean, Ike and Tina Turner, hmm. before they went to the Wall of Sound, they cut like 17 hmm. records there. Wow. Um, Ike was a dear friend of my dad's. Mm. Um, James Carr's Dark End of the Street was cut there. Mm. And actually, there was a version of Stack's first record, Gee Whiz, was uh, cut there because the, the Stack studio didn't open until 60. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chips Moman was producing their record, and he had already did James Carr's record there. So the first version of Gee Whiz was cut at Royal. Um and it just, man, when you walk in, uh, I mean, the way the, the reason we get a lot of business now, um, like my dad never liked the way his record sounded. Um, so he finally became the head engineer, I think, in 68 mm. and uh, started altering the room. And he got the room the way he wanted it in 69, which is what we have now. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, fiberglass insulation and burlap that soften and quiet the room down. And mm-hmm. when you walk in now, it's just like walking into a time capsule. It's like you're back in 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, uh, I mean, I think Mark Ronson described it best the way uh, when you walk in the room, he said, the room makes you feel like playing music. <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah, a pretty accurate description. Um and just I don't know, we're we're lucky to um to have kind of preserved, you know, and not you know, 'cause sometimes people go in and like, oh, we're gonna modernize and mm-hmm. make yeah. it all done. Right. And, right. But um you know, we we didn't do that. We um we try you know keep to tradition and you know respect and honor 
the, the sound that my father made. And um, I mean, we got Pro Tools, you know. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you, you, you have you have great 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 equipment. But, but yeah, it really, it really, it, it really feels like a home there, especially you guys. The whole family runs it and stuff, so it really feels like a home. And I think that's what musicians sort of, you know, they go, "Oh yeah, this is great." And as well as your aunt uh, cooking them some soul food too. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the soul food—that's that's the secret weapon. My right. my my aunt's soul food dinners and and pound cake. <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> right. Like, oh, you got sixty channels. I got pound cake though. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But but you you have all this, this you know this great equipment and everything that but you told this really great story about Bruno how he he did us like a solo track on Uptown Funk in but in your next to your board right oh yeah so he um, he well he did his vocals in the control room mm-hmm. okay. Um, The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. 
That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com etm and use code etm for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. It's funny because we had him, you know, so they, when they got to Royal, um, so they were there for three days. Mm -hmm. And Uptown Funk hadn't, was not finished written. Uh, they were still working on it. And uh, my aunt cooks his soul food dinner. And after the dinner, they, you know, they got inspired. So they were, you know, they're writing on the song, writing on the song. Bruno's got to like leave, the, you know, got to, 
playing at like nine or ten in the morning. Uh-huh. So they finally get the song finished, you know, written like man, must have been five thirty or six o'clock. And it's like, okay, let's do a vocal. So we put him in the vocal booth, you know, with the nice right, you know, twenty thousand dollar microphone. <laughs> we're all, you know, me, uh, Mark Bronson, Jeff Basker, mm-hmm. um, Cam- uh, Cameron Whalem, Bruno's trombone player. That's who was from Memphis. Um, mm-hmm. Philip Lawrence, his songwriting buddy. We're all in the control room, just like jamming, you know. Mm-hmm. And cheering them on, and after a couple of takes, Bruno's like, "Man, I just I wanna can I come and do my vocal in there with you guys?" And <laughs> I'm like, "Oh Jesus, uh, right, right, <laughs> nightmare vocal in the control room." <laughs> like, well, only thing I could think of was a SM57, which is mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. an eighty dollar, hundred dollar, right, right, because it, you know, it. um it doesn't have a lot of reflection, you know, mm-hmm. it won't mm-hmm. uh, feedback basically with the music coming out of the speakers. Right. So he <laughs> he comes in and does the vocal and I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, Oh, they'll replace this vocal in some slip New York right. or LA studio, right. you know. And um so Bruno's engineer, uh, Charles Moniz, uh calls me like a week later. He goes, hey, boo, you you know the vocal we did on the SM57? I was like, yeah. He's like, you know, we're keeping that for the record. I was like, what? <laughs> you got to be me, man. <laughs> so, uh, and it sounds great, you know, so, you, you, you know, you, you never know. Uh, it ain't always about how much something costs. Right, 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 exactly. Yeah. And and it's, you guys and it's not only was that the biggest one of the biggest songs of the year you won a Grammy for that too. Oh yeah, I, yeah, got my first Grammy. Um, thanks to Sure in the SM57, <laughs> 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 the good old SM57, old faithful. Right, and even even though you grew up in the in the music business, how was it? Was, I mean, how surreal was it to actually win a Grammy there with Bruno and stuff? I mean, you know. Uh, that's kind of the magic of music. Uh-huh. Uh, my dad told me a long time ago, he's like, you never know. Um, you know, he's like, this is the only business you could be a pauper one day and a millionaire the next, you know. <laughs> exactly, you never right. Know. Um, so you always try to do your best on whatever because, you know, I always had in my mind that if I ever won a Grammy, it would, you know, hopefully being an engineering category or something, you know. I never would have even thought record mm-hmm. of the year was so not on my radar. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, oh, this Katy Perry, this right. Timberlake. You right. Know? <laughs> like, yeah, this, I, I wouldn't even, uh, that wasn't even on my radar. And uh, I was like, if I'm never going to win one, you know. Sure, be, like some technical or something, yeah. 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 And, um, I just remember waking up that uh, morning when the, the nominations list came out, and I was kind of, you know, in bed and looking, scrolling, and uh, I was like, whoa, there's, my name is attached to this. <laughs> and I called the Memphis chapter um, director, mm-hmm. John Hornyak. I go, I said, uh, John, 
Man, my name is on the website. Um, does this mean I don't have to buy my ticket this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was just like uh, I don't know, it was a, surreal, like a dream coming true. Just right, you know. Um, Unbelievable. I, I mean, even that whole record, how it, I remember the first time I heard Uptown Funk on mm-hmm. the radio, um, a lot of, in in Memphis, some of the stations, they play, you know, they play new music like at four or five in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, before they put it in rotation. And mm-hmm. I'm coming home from the studio one night and there's Uptown Funk on the radio. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm like holy crap. They're playing a song, you know? Yeah, and right. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm going, oh, man. I'm like, oh, boy, they're not going to play it again. It's too long, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Luckily, I was wrong. You're, you're wrong. <laughs> they made a radio edit. <laughs> exactly. Well, you, you mentioned before about Royal with so much history that, that they have, so, but Memphis also has, you know, a very rich history in music. And you guys, you're part of the documentary a few years ago, Take Me to the River, and I, I adore that documentary. It really tells a great story of Memphis music. But you guys also included, you know, local rappers and stuff. So uh, how did that come about? Man, Take Me to the River, um, I don't know, it was a really, uh, it, it was one of those sessions that was kind of life-changing to me, too, just, just like the Mark Ronson's session was. Mm-hmm. Um, Taking to the River came about. My dad, Willie Mitchell, had passed in 2010, and Cody Dickinson from the North Mississippi All-Stars uh, called me about Taking Me to the River in uh, you know, 2011, um, and it was almost Right at a year after my dad uh, had passed, so it was a it was a strange time for me. Just I mean, as a as a person, but especially as a you know an engineer and producer mm-hmm. and stuff, because I always had my father there to you know kind of lean on. Sure, if I would get stuck, you know, and it was just like. You know, it felt like I was going through the transition where, you know, people in the business may have been like, well, we don't really know who knows what he's doing, you know? Right, right, right. You know, because I always had my dad there. Sure, sure. Like, I didn't, you know, I had to kind of develop my own cred. And Mm -hmm. um, so the phone wasn't ringing a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And Cody Dickinson called me. He's like, Hey man, he called me like nine in the morning, and it was one of those weird things where your body knows something important about the right. You know what I mean? I like sure. woke up and was just like instantly, you know, it wasn't like, hey Cody, it's like, hey right. Cody, you know, right, right. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what the hell is Cody doing? This <laughs> right. <laughs> but he started telling me about um, this project, take me to the river, and. You know, a lot of Memphis musicians kind of shrug documentary work mm-hmm. because there's people that have done documentaries, you know, and it's like none of the musicians got paid and mm-hmm. some dude, you know, some slick dudes 
sure. You know, making all this money and off our history and stuff. Mm-hmm. So musicians here were have been kind of skeptical when you say documentary. And uh, but Cody started telling me about the director Martin Shore, and um, you know, and he's like, "Ooh, he's trying to do the right thing," and that just kind of resonated with me. And then, you know, so I met Martin, and um, we just hit it off instantly. And he was, you know, he was like, look, man, I want to make sure everybody's taken care of and they would do this right. And it was, I just, like, opened up the Rolodex at that point. (laughs) (laughs) All of my uncles, because Bobby Rush is like an uncle to me, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as William Bell and, you know, the bar caves and Bobby, you know, all of these musicians, they, I like grew up with them. So I can just call them on the phone <laughs> and be like, Hey man, you want to do a session with mm-hmm. so you know? And, um, so all the pairings kind of, it was, it was real organic, you know, mm-hmm. um, we had some pairings that we were trying to do, um, and it didn't work. And we mm-hmm. just, you know, at the end of it was like who was willing and available. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's how we ended up with Frazier Boy and mm. Bobby Rush doing the session. Mm-hmm. Folks playing Little Peanut. Uh, the the William Bell Snoop Dogg one is is probably the, the funniest one um, because we had for, you know, we had we tried to put Snoop with B.B. Uh, King Mm. And you know, trying to go through management, and just really never yeah. could get a, a yes or a no. Sure, you know. Um, and we were just kind of casually mentioning, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, we, well, we got this one song with William Bell, and and Snoop's like, mm. William Bell, William Bell was my favorite artist of all time. Wow, <laughs> like what? <laughs> 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 That's how that one happened. Um, but but he but he also really he really does seem like he is like endearingly he loves them and I think it really comes across in the in the and you don't always see Snoop Dogg like that. I mean he really loved the history about Memphis and stuff and and, oh, and them like Snoop his musical knowledge is so deep. I, mean, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was surprised that you know what I mean. You, you got to be the, the the true soul connoisseur to, you know, know William Bell, and for a a young cat um, mm-hmm. to you know to be up on this Memphis music history like that, mm-hmm. that was that was super impressive. Yeah, because he started rattling off songs. We got this song, you know, Miss Water, mm-hmm. you know, Private Number. <laughs> right. Like whoa. You just didn't, you know, you don't expect it from a guy. I mean, Snoop, uh, his family's from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kind of uh, grew up on the West Coast, but you, mm-hmm. know, you don't expect to hear that. Um, so it was, um, you know, it was very organic. And mm-hmm. or, I say that it was orchestrated by God because at the end of the day, you know, um, everything just kind of, you know, the stars would, would align and, and the session would happen. Um, and, I mean, we did a lot with the high rhythm. Mm. 
you know, with Charles and Leroy Hodges and uh-huh. Tim Hodges, who, uh-huh. you know, since passed away. Um, uh-huh. I mean, those guys are like kind of rock stars in their own right, right too, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, not they only are you... They played on some of the, the, the greatest albums of all time, right, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, those guys are all, you know, so you're trying to coordinate them and and two different artists. Um, so it was, it was um, man, it was a labor of love. It, mm-hmm. it was such a big, it was, every session was kind of like a family reunion, mm-hmm. you know. Those guys hadn't played with Otis Clay in years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even... Uh, even Bobby Rush, you know, just it, it, every session was just kind of like um, this homecoming family reunion vibe, and you can really feel and see that love. I think it comes across good, you know, on screen. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, all, it's really great how you have all these different multiple generations all all together and stuff. So, last question I have for you is. is why is Memphis and how, why has Memphis always been such a great uh, music town in all kinds of genres? It's not just Elvis and rock and roll. Yeah, it's kind of where a lot of, uh, you know, um, I think it's where a, a, a lot of things come together, whether mm-hmm. where the West and East meet and the North and South. It kind of, Memphis is in the, you know, it's in the middle of the country and You've got the influence, you know, coming up the Mississippi River from New Orleans and Mississippi and Arkansas and, you know, and then stuff's coming from, uh, you know, from Nashville and mm-hmm. stuff's coming from the West. I think it just, um, it, there's a feel. Memphis has a feeling uh, that it just feels like home. And I think people come here and get inspired. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many stories about artists rejuvenating, relaunching their mm-hmm. careers. You know, um, like even Neil Diamond, you know, Sweet Caroline was mm-hmm. cut in Memphis um, with my dad's old rhythm section. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I never, I never even knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, cut at American Studios, Reggie oh, wow. Young, and all those guys. Um, I mean, there's just so many. I think it's the um, it's the vibe of the city, man. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's the food, uh, but the vibe is kind of it's laid back and it's like a big small town. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the, the biggest little town in the world, and uh, people are real. You know endearing here and um, I think it just you know I think it inspires people and makes them write and play music right and it's, and it's, it's continuing today as well too I, I don't I don't understand how uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not in Memphis really <laughs> yeah that's been a <laughs> <laughs> it's been a subject of uh, you know a, a lot of conversations um but you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, they're you know they're doing a great job with it. But it's you know, I you know I think Memphis is on this big renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you know a prophet is not recognized in his own home kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and I think with 
you know, I think like the city leaders and the government that we have now is, you know, we're embracing our heritage and culture, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, because the music business was the biggest business and, you mm-hmm. know, the biggest employee in Memphis in mm-hmm. 1973 was music. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, it was a series of unfortunate events happened, you know, um, Stax was forced mm-hmm. into bankruptcy and, mm-hmm. and the eldest died and mm-hmm. Stax was put out of business in 75, the eldest mm-hmm. died in 77. Yeah. Around the same time, you know, Reverend Al was going all gospel and disco mm-hmm. was coming in. It was just, the city went through a lot of changes and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it took a minute to recover, you know, and then FedEx happened and mm-hmm. uh, we became American Distribution Center. <laughs> 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 so it's like, uh, yeah, but, you know, millions of people are not coming here every year because we're shipping packages. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and now, now it's it's really seems like it's become more of a it's it's a live music you know city, and now with the Beale Street Music Festival, which is one of the biggest festivals around these days, and stuff like that, I think Memphis is really being becoming more known again for the just the great music that is coming from there, and then people are coming to play there too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we've you know we've got more. God, we've got so many more live venues. Mm-hmm. Um, right for artists to perform. So we've become, you know, it's, we're, um, man, we, we, we're under this big renaissance and I think, you know, it, it, I, we, I think we're going to be better than we were if that's mm-hmm. possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, more, uh, definitely more secure. Um, because I mean, the sixties and the seventies was a whirlwind mm-hmm. for everybody. It was all the stuff happening. In, in a lot of places, um, but I think we have, you know, the spirit to hold on to things, and we know what's important now, and, and we know how important our, our music and our legacy and our heritage is. Um, so I think I think people get it now. So we won't go backwards again. <laughs> Don't wait till tomorrow Oh, you may be dead I was young And I wanted to play Said I'd wait Just one more day Algorithms can do so much more than control social media feeds. In fact, they have the power to save lives and improve our health. At the Weizmann Institute, Professor Yonina Eldar has pioneered innovative algorithms that optimize MRI scans and make ultrasound devices more portable, affordable, and accessible. Professor Eldar's lab develops AI tools that can pave the way to new technologies that can see, hear, and communicate beyond existing limits. Learn more at CelebratingGreatMinds.org.